Well, it's so very good to be here tonight. We appreciate the church and appreciate the help that we've received all these years from the church. We came here the first time at end of November, the 1st of December in 1969 in the last century. Uh, yeah. And the church started helping us and has been helping us ever since that time. And uh, your, your prayers and your support, your financial support makes the ministry, makes the ministry poss possible. In the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul, in the last chapter, starting with about verse 10, is what I call a missionary prayer letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi, at, in English, at Philippi. Uh, and he's thanking them for the offerings that they had been sending uh, several times they had sent him offerings. In verse 14, he says, You did well that you shared with me, uh, he said, in my, uh, in, in my affliction, in, in one version. And they tell us that the word shared in the Greek means to join in a partnership with someone. Uh, he's telling them that through their offerings that they were in a partnership with him, that they were working together. And uh, that's the way we feel about uh, missions and mission support. Uh, we are partners together. You make it possible for us to go, and you pray for us. I'm sure you pray for us, and uh, you, we, you do send the offerings. We, we appreciate that so very much. And uh, one of the things about heaven that, that I believe is going to take place, one day up there, uh, we're going to have the opportunity to meet, I believe, all the people that we've had some way had a part in reaching them for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you're... you're uh, you have missionaries around the world, and they're reaching people. And we're going to have a lot of time in heaven, and uh, it'll be a thrill to get to know uh, how they came to know the Lord and how you and we have had a part in that ministry. Uh, we'll see the video, and then we'll uh, give a report about it, please. We are Oliver and Gloria Wins, Baptist Bible Fellowship Missionaries to Peru for over 52 years. Our home has always been in the sprawling city of Lima with a population of over 10 million. After a year of debutation and a year of language study in Mexico, we arrived in Lima in June of 1971. Our focus has always been the establishing of churches and preparing workers for those churches. We have established five churches in metropolitan Lima and three more across the Andes in the central jungle towns of San Ramon, La Merced, and Pichinaki. Our present ministry is at Baptist Bible Seminary in Lima, where we've worked since 1972. Our purpose at the seminary is to prepare pastors, missionaries, and Christian school teachers who will start more churches and will follow God's call to wherever He leads them. The seminary annually sponsors two activities to promote fellowship among our churches. For 37 years, we have had a five-week soccer tournament with as many as 32 churches participating. On November the 1st, which is a national holiday, we have a day-long activity for young people emphasizing missions. The day includes a fellowship-wide Bible quiz, two sermons challenging our young people to dedicate their lives to serve the Lord, and in the afternoon, we have a volleyball tournament. As many as 700 young people attend this activity every year. In October every year, the graduating seniors go on a missions trip to help a church in the interior of the country. One of the purposes of this trip is to help 
them see the need of establishing more churches in the interior. In March of 2017, the seminary was flooded by the Chion River. The shallow water river flows down from the Andes Mountains and passes about a hundred yards behind the seminary. In March of 2017, there were continual heavy rains in the Andes. One afternoon, something caused an obstruction in the rivers, sending a strong current flow against our side of the river. In less than 12 hours, the river had cut across the cornfield behind us, washed away 150 feet of our back wall, destroyed three buildings, and covered our water well for two weeks. Our graduates and pastors rallied to the calls and crisis at the seminary began on time in April. Gratefully, the Lord has provided to replace everything but the chapel building. Over the years, we have had more than 550 graduates from the seminary. And there are graduates serving in more than 40 churches in the Lima metropolitan area. And outside of Lima, we have graduates in the Upper Marañón River Basin, the jungle city of Iquitos and along the rivers, in Chiclayo, Cajamarca, Juan Guerra Tarapoto, Huaraz, Paramonga, Barranca, Chancay, Perovillo, Chosica, Tarma, San Ramon, La Merced, Pichinaque, Satipo, Oxapampa, Villarrica, Ica, Andahuaylas, Ayacucho, Majes, Cusco, Pisac, and Puerto Maldonado. We also have graduates in the United States, Brazil, Argentina, Bolivia, London, India, Guinea-Bissau, West Africa, and one going to Asia when the pandemic restrictions are over. In 2015, on the 50th anniversary of the seminary, we received a Peruvian congressional recognition for 50 years of service in Peru. A declaration was read in Congress and a reception was given for our students and professors in one of the congressional reception halls. This year we were ready to begin classes in April when the government went into a complete lockdown because of the pandemic. Our son-in-law, David Lyles, who works with us at the seminary, set up virtual platforms and we completed a full semester in virtual online classes. We have participated in summer camp ministry since arriving in Lima. For 46 years, we have had to rent facilities for our camps. For 30 years, we prayed and looked for land to buy. And in 2011, the Lord made it possible to buy seven choice acres for our own camp. In 2017, <clears throat> the Lord provided the funds to build the first stage of the camp, but construction was interrupted until October that year because of reconstruction at the seminary after the flood. January the 1st in 2019, we began our camp program at Camp New Hope with our high school aged campers. There were 31 professions of faith in Christ that first week. Now we have a camp program for every age group in our churches. We still have three acres of land to develop. We're grateful for the 50 years God has given to us in Peru and for the wonderful pastors and churches that he's given us to work with. Would you consider coming and being a part of our team?
uh, Gloria's going to help me. She doesn't preach except in the house once in a while. Once in a while. <clears throat> but she's a great speaker. Okay, good. But I want to review some of the things that we said about the camp ministry there. Uh, we have always been involved in camp. I went to camp the first time when I was 15 years of age. And I, and I have to mention that I met a 13-year-old girl at camp. That is, that is not the reason for camp, though. Um, but nevertheless, it, it worked. But uh, she was almost 14. She's like six, six weeks being 14. I, uh, <clears throat> I met her mother. I'll, I'll just mention it. Her mother was the Sunday school teacher for the high school department, and she is a lady who would take a party with her. She was always having a, just a good time, and she thought she'd have a good time with me. We were, <laughs> first, the second day we were there at camp, we were sitting out on a bench in front of the dining hall, and I looked up, and here comes her mother out of the dining hall. I'd never met her before, and she had a gray big grin on her face, and she came right straight at me. And she came up and said, oh, you must be Charlie she's been telling me about. My name's Oliver. Yeah, yeah. To no, Henry. And she went through about a half a dozen names of these guys. But uh, she was a great lady and a great Sunday school teacher also. But uh, we've been involved in camp ministry all the time that we've been in Peru. I mentioned the video some 46 years. And we had to rent camps from in, in, in different places for our ministry. And we began to ask the Lord to give us our own property. And I began to look for land to buy. And we looked north and south and west. We looked everywhere for over 20 years. And we never did find anything that I felt that we should buy to start our own, our own construction there. And finally, after a while, I said, I'll let the, I'll let the next generation build a camp. Uh, at that time, three of our children were there as missionaries with us. Uh, and so I sort of let it go for a little while. We were here in the States uh, when camp started one year, and our daughter and son-in-law, David and Tanya, were in charge of the high school camp. And uh, we called back down to Peru, out to the camp on um, Tuesday morning, first morning of camp, uh, to ask to see how things were going. And I was talking with Tanya, and Tanya said, Dad, I didn't sleep all night long last night. And I said, Tanya, what, why? What's the matter? What happened? Well, that camp was built for 150 people. It had about 150, 160 beds. We would take 90 of our mattresses up and some tents and other things uh, to have enough uh, facilities for our camp. And she said, Dad, there's 400 people here at camp, and I don't know where they're going to sleep. Yeah. And uh, they, I didn't ask where they slept, but they slept uh, during that week. And I told her, I said, well, when I get back to Peru, uh, I'll go one more time and I'll look for land uh, to buy for our own camp. So when we got back, I took one of the pastors with me. Uh, we went up there, started looking. And within four hours, we had found the land that we have, that we bought, uh, seven and a half acres. They gave us a price for it. They were willing to sell it. And then within two weeks, we had paid the $65,000 that they were asking for the land. And just when the Lord began to respond, he responded in a great way. But when we paid the $65,000, we were broke, and we didn't have any money to develop it with. First thing we wanted was a well, and to do the well according to law, it was going to cost us something like $5,000 
and we have to do things right according to the law because uh, our testimony is such. But uh, uh, every year, every year at camp, the senior young people, the college-age young people, would go over to our property, walk up and down the property, and pray and ask the Lord to provide uh, for that camp. And um, one day, I said like this, the phone rang, and the money began to come. It was the Lord's time, and the money began to come from uh, all different places. It didn't come from churches. It was a little bit different, uh, but it, it came, and we were able to start building. We were in construction at the seminary and at the camp for a little over two years continual uh, in those, those two years. And uh, the 1st of January uh, 2019, we had that first high school camp that you saw the picture of, 31 Professions of Faith. There were 280 people there at that camp. Uh, that summer we had 70 professions of faith and then last year in January and February we had uh, 12 weeks of camp and retreats. Uh, camping there is different from up here. It's, it's a very important part of our ministry in Peru. Uh, we have retreats for every age group from children to grandpas and uh, the Lord has blessed that and is blessing that. And camp is the only ministry that I know of where we can have them there at camp and we can teach them the word of God three, four, or five times a day and still get away with it. And the Lord blesses that and prospers it. Gloria's going to mention about one of the people that got saved at camp. When we knew that the Lord had given us a camp and we began to develop it, <clears throat> we began to think and pray about a name for the camp and finally we settled on New Hope. And that's because anybody that comes that's not saved can leave with New Hope. And those people who are saved and whose lives have gotten off track can leave with New Hope. It's a place of New Hope. We work closely at the seminary with a wonderful Christian lady named Kathy. <clears throat> she was in our church, in a church that Oliver was pastoring many years ago. Just a young woman, a single mom, and she came to the Lord and we discipled her and she became an absolutely um, wonderful, wonderful Christian worker in that church and with us at the seminary. Kathy's story is a very difficult story. When she was very small, about five, one day her mom just disappeared and her daddy told her and her brothers and sisters that her mom had left because she didn't love them. And it was not true. Kathy did not know that until she was 18 and she desperately needed help, and she looked for her mom. And then she found out that her mom had been threatened if she didn't leave home and leave him with the kids. So she had this horrible uh, feeling of rejection and this resentment against her father, and it took her a long time to begin to work that out of her life. And she helped one of her sisters 
to work that same resentment out of her life. The first year that we had camp, they organized a men's retreat and our son-in-law, David Lyles, was the speaker at the camp. Kathy's sister got her husband to invite her father to that men's retreat. And wonder of wonders, the gentleman went. Years had passed. He had a second family. He had abandoned completely his other family. David spoke that week on Job and what a wonderful father he was. And the Bible records that every day he offered sacrifices for his children just in case they had not offered sacrifices for themselves, that he was always aware of their spiritual welfare. And it broke Kathy's daddy's heart. And it wasn't long after that that someone led him to the Lord. An elderly, elderly gentleman in his 80s. Camp is not, our camp is not just for kids. It's for anybody that needs the Lord. And our doors are open and we're excited about this ministry. Well, the seminary is our most important ministry. Uh, the Bible teaches church planning ministry is what we believe that our, our work is to do, to start churches, and the churches can then have all the programs that they, that they have need of. But uh, the seminary is where we prepare pastors and pastors' wives, missionaries, Christian school teachers, prepare people for youth ministry, all these things there. And we have had all kinds of students to, uh, to study at the seminary. Uh, one young lady from, again, from David and Tanya's church, Juanita, uh, she, when God touched her heart about serving him, she finished, she was in nursing school. She finished nursing school with honors, and she came directly to the seminary uh, to study there. And Juanita is preparing her life to go to the mission field of Asia, uh, already has most of her support. Uh, up and she started this last week uh, taking language lessons, Thai, whatever you call the Thai language, and uh, she's working on that and she's on the way uh, to Asia to be a missionary. Uh, Jessica is a medical doctor. Uh, Jessica's family is part of one of our churches. Uh, her father is, is a medical doctor also. But Jessica had always planned to come to the seminary when she finished high school. She finished high school and wanted to come to seminary, and her dad said, you can go to seminary as soon as you finish medical school. Yeah, and that takes a little while. And so she went to medical school. As soon as she graduated from there, uh, she did get a job in the hospital, but she came to Bible school. And one of the things that I like about her being at Bible school, she said, this is as hard as medical school is, the studies here. I said, we're great, you know, and we're great. We want to prepare them the very best that we can. Uh, but our, our pastor's wife have a Facebook page, and with this pandemic, uh, Jessica has been a help uh, to all of them. She's married a pastor, and uh, they have a great church. They're running two services now, uh, but she's there, part of that ministry. 
Another, another lady that graduated from the school is an army general's wife whose chauffeur brought her out to school every day for, for three years till she finally graduated. And uh, he has retired now, and they help with Bible school ministries in the churches across the mountains. But then we have many, many students uh, that did not have these opportunities. Uh, some of them that could not write legibly. Some of them could not even speak real good Spanish. Some of them that grew up in a house uh, with a dirt floor. And now they're serving the Lord God's work in their lives. And we see God working in their life in a special way. And Gloria is going to tell you about Isabel. Isabel's story is one of those stories that you look and you think, how in the world did you get to where you are from where you were? Isabel grew up in the central mountains, central southern mountains of Peru until she was 12. And her mom and dad sent her to Lima to work in a house and to be domestic help. At the age of 12, she's on her own, working with people she does not know. When Isabel, shortly after she came to Lima and she was contacted, someone took her to a church in the area, she got saved. And wasn't long after that that she became a Sunday school teacher's helper. And then she became a Sunday school teacher. And then she became a student at the seminary, preparing her life to serve the Lord. One day in class, Isabel was talking with me and some of the other girls, and she said, when I first came to Lima, I nearly starved to death for the first month. And we said, Isabel, why? Were you not used to the food? And she said, no. Every day, the lady, she was very, she was a wonderful lady, very nice to me. And she would fix me a big plate of food and she would put it on the table in the kitchen and she would leave so she wouldn't embarrass me while I was eating. But she left a fork and I had never eaten with anything but a spoon and I was too afraid to tell her that I didn't know what to do with the fork. Isabel in the afternoons would come that first year would come into the seminary office and our secretary taught her how to write sufficiently legibly so that the professors could read her papers. She graduated, and when she graduated, she went and she served in a in an, uh, little town south of Lima, about three and a half hours, lived with a family that had been members of the church that she was a member of in Lima, and there was no church in that little town. And Isabel knew that she couldn't pastor but she could work with children. So she went and she lived with them for two years and she started a Sunday school and she worked with children and young people and the women. Then she came back to Lima. And one day she came to the house and she said, I just came to tell you that I'm going to be a missionary 
to Africa. And I said, you're going to do what? And she said, I'm going to Mozambique. And I thought, Isabel, that's wonderful. Tell me about it. She did. The story unfolded. About uh, several months later, Isabel left, and she went to Brazil to study Portuguese, which is spoken in Mozambique, and to, for intercultural studies to help her understand how to adapt herself into this new culture in Africa that she was going to be living in. When she graduated from there a year later, she came back to Lima and she came and she said, I'm not going to Mozambique. I'm going to Guinea-Bissau. And I said, where is Guinea-Bissau? And she said, it's in West Africa. You'll have to look that up on a map. It's close to Senegal. Isabel went. While she was at that, at the institute, the Intercultural Institute and, and Language Institute in Brazil, the director of that institute called her in one day and he said, I've heard that you, are, that you want to change your field. And she said, yes, I'm not going, I, I think that I shouldn't go to Mozambique. I think the Lord is leading me to go to Guinea-Bissau with this couple that's students here. And he said, oh, no, 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 Isabel, you don't understand. That is such a backward place. And the living conditions are such that I just don't think that you should go. And she said, but I really feel this is the way the Lord is leading me. He said, pray with me for a month, Isabel, and then come back and talk to me. She went in a month, and he sat, down, he sat her down, and he said, Isabel, you don't understand. You will be living in a house of dirt floors, no bathroom facilities in the house, no running water in the house. And she said, I almost laughed because I thought, just like home. And finally she looked at him and she said, you don't understand. God made me for this. Isabel has been there four years and this young lady that could not write legibly enough for her professors to read her papers, is now ministering all over that tiny country, teaching Sunday school teachers how to reach children. That's how you get from there to here, and the name of it is Grace. The Lord can work in anyone's life that's willing to let him work in your life. Uh, you just have to be willing. He's already called us to serve him, and you'll just need to decide where it is that you want to serve him. Uh, and no one is too old and no one is too young to serve the Lord. Uh, we've had a graduate uh, who's 72 when he graduated, and I found out later that I'm the only one that, that failed him in a course of Bible doctrine, and then I felt bad about it. 
but he's a, a good man uh, from what the churches had started many years ago or 40 years ago. And uh, he would go to the mountains way down south and would have a ministry there, teach and preach for a while, then come back. He passed away two years ago, uh, but he spent the rest of his life serving the Lord. Uh, we Sometimes we have the idea that the young people ought to go to the mission field, but we don't find that any of the apostles were teenagers. They weren't even 20-some-odd, you know. Uh, they were mature people, mature men, and I see several mature men around here uh, tonight. It's just a matter of being willing. We're never too old and we're never too young uh, to serve the Lord. I wanted to repeat part of what was on the video about the graduates. We've had over 550 graduates over the years at the seminary. We've been there a long time. And the other day we were counting up. We have over 100 graduates working in more than 40 churches in metropolitan Lima uh, right now. Then we have graduates, as you saw, in about 35 different provinces uh, all over the country uh, of Peru. And as Lori mentioned, we have missionaries in eight different countries that are graduates of, of the Bible school. Um, let me share one other story, and if Gloria has something else to say, she's going to sit down. Okay. <laughs> now, just, uh, just briefly, uh, sometimes the Lord sends us somebody to, to lead to Him, to talk, uh, to talk to, and to, uh, to uh, lead them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I call it divine appointments. Uh, uh, a divine appointment for me is the idea that God knows where somebody in, is that needs uh, some help, that needs him, and he sends someone to help them. So, several years ago, uh, a work team was from, Springs, from Central Baptist Church in Sulphur Springs, Texas, uh, was down helping us uh, build a building. They had come down four different times to help us with construction of the church there. And this particular time, uh, they brought a large group, more than 30 people, and we were uh, working on a Sunday school building in the church in, uh, in La Merced. And uh, then we had some of our people were working, and we didn't have enough tools, and we didn't have enough, we had too many bosses. We didn't have enough tools, and we didn't have enough work people. And uh, people were beginning to get in each other's way. And one of our pastors who had pastored 20 years, another hour and a half farther into uh, to the jungle, uh, was there. He was pastoring a church in the area. And he says, let's take them over to Villa Rica and show them, uh, some of them, get them out of here and take them over there and see uh, the, the church that's in Villa Rica. And we thought that was a good idea, the ones that were not working, the ones that wanted to go. And we hired a couple of vans and uh, loaded them up. They were old rickety uh, vans. And we started off uh, across uh, the hill and in, in an hour and a half back into the jungle. Uh, I, uh, uh, I took my car, my Suburban, uh, to just in case something happened to one of the vans, we'd have some transportation. And along the way, we stopped for a few minutes, and one of the teenage girls, uh, uh, Sarah, she was 14, came to ride with me in, in the car. I was by myself. Uh, she was, could be more comfortable there. And we were... Headed, we were about 15 minutes out of the town of Villarica, and we were going through a community on the side of a hill. It's a high jungle there. And uh, up above the road, uh, 80, 90 feet up above, there was a, a volleyball court, a concrete slab, and uh, they had coffee beans drying out there. It was coffee harvest at that time. 
And then just below there, they had a couple of thatched roof houses with dirt floors uh, there and then the road. And then uh, about 100 feet on down below, they had the, uh, the grade school. And we were coming down this dusty road, coming in this community. And all of a sudden, my car began to slow down. And I would accelerate. And the motor would race, but it kept slowing down. And it slowed down, and it stopped. And I thought, what? on earth I got out of the car and looked back up the road and in the dust there was a long wet streak that came all the way up to the back end of my car it was automatic transmission fluid it was my automatic transmission fluid that was there in the road and I thought oh no the transmission is gone I'll have to haul this thing all the way back to Lima it's going to cost me a fortune just to get it back to Lima and I started looking to see if I could locate the problem and what I found was that the hose that runs from the transmission around and through the bottom of the radiator, it was a rubber hose and it had got pinched from the bouncing up on these roads and uh, had cut that, uh, that, that tube, it was a rubber tube, and all the transmission fluid went out that way on the street. Uh, they had just installed a cell telephone tower in that community and I was able to call ahead. The, the other uh, vans had gotten up to the, uh, to the town I told them what I needed, some transmission fluid and some, uh, some clamps and a little piece of tube and to come back and help me. Well, while I was waiting on them to come out, Sarah and I was outside the car standing around, and uh, uh, a little girl about six years old came down from the first house uh, farther way up the hill, and she brought us some bananas, uh, some ripe bananas, and didn't have much to say, so we ate a banana and stood there waiting. After a few minutes, I said, Sarah, let's, uh, let's take the family a New Testament and thank them for, for the bananas. And so we went up to the house, and you don't knock on the door. Sometimes they don't have a door. We just called, and uh, a young lady came out, about 22 years old, came out to receive us. Uh, I thanked her for the bananas, and we gave her the New Testament. And I began to explain how to use it and how you could use it. And she seemed interested, and so I went on and had the privilege of showing her the plan of salvation, and she called upon the Lord, and the Lord saved her that afternoon. When the, the other fellows came back with the transmission fluid, uh, Pastor Ruiz came back, and I told him what had happened. Oh, he says, I know this family. I led the mother to the Lord uh, several years ago, and uh, this young lady knew about the gospel, uh, she already knew that she needed the Lord Jesus Christ, and she was ready to be saved. We had not planned to go that way. We had not planned to pass that house, uh, but the Lord, I believe, had planned it. Uh, I had, didn't have any problem with my transmission until we got to this place. Uh, and the car stopped right in front of the right house. And uh, for a little bit, I missed, I missed the message. I was worried about my transmission and what it was going to cost me. And then, what does the Lord do? He sent me a banana. And I think he smiled. <laughs> and gave me the privilege of pointing her to Calvary. Uh, we fixed the hose, added the transmission fluid, cranked the car up, and it never stopped again. When I sold that car, those clamps were still on it just the way we left it that day, you know. Uh, the Lord is gracious, and it's such a privilege uh, to point someone to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and particularly in a place like that. Never seen them since that time, never been back across there. We've had the privilege of leading a lot of people uh, on the road, on the highway, that we saw them one time, just one time, and we will see them again. We'll see them again someday. Would you, do we have, would you have a question or would you, or maybe better the pastor come? <laughs> we won't get to see them for a long time. I'll take just a couple questions. If you have a question about Peru, uh, I know I have questions. You can catch them after the services or anybody. We'll publicly ask a, a, a sane question, okay? You got a microphone, okay? Bob Bowman, go right ahead, sir. Yes, sir. Biggest changes in their ministry. Yeah. That having to do with the COVID. No. Not relating to the coronavirus, but over the last 50 years. Okay. What was your biggest adjustments and? Okay. Well, the the best thing that has happened is our ministry. Our people have matured spiritually. Have matured spiritually. Our professors at the Bible school, all of our professors are Peruvians, with the exception of my family. They're we have some excellent Bible teachers. We have some excellent pastors, and they're capable of uh, taking the ministry on. If we never went back, uh, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't miss a leg. It would keep going. And it's been a thrill. We have mature churches now, very much so. They've been starting their own churches. They, they give the faith promise. They give the missions. And... Uh, uh, that has developed over, over these last few years, and we're grateful for that. But that is the most important thing to me, and that's uh, really the biggest change, is the maturity of the ministry of, amongst our churches there. Uh, ushers, will you get together? I'll take one more question if anybody wants to ask one. Uh, we're gonna take an offering for these folks. Anybody at all? Um, I want, okay, got one right here. Tim Viscovi, you wanna give him a mic, please? If you'd have quit, quit a little bit earlier, we could have got more questions in. Has, uh, has the Jesus film been shown in that area, or is that a tool that's been used there for evangelism? Tim was with Campus Crusade. They have the Jesus film. He didn't know if it had been shown in that area or not. No. No, no, no we haven't. It's incredible because it's been shown so many places mm -hmm. in the world, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, while, while he was standing here, they were standing here telling their stories. You know, they're just talking about a few things. Come on, men, in 50 years. But I, since 69, we've supported you? So that means, that means uh, Ken and Bonnie Turner have been supporting you that whole time. James and Joan Seaman, still here, have been supporting you for all that time. Uh, Pat Griffith, all that time for half a century supporting you. And my mother, Mrs. Green, supporting you for 50 years. And they get a little piece of what you guys did over there. That's right. Who would ever dream in 1969 that they would get to be a part of all that, all those people trusting Christ, all those churches, and there's lots of missionaries like him over there. Let me ask you something before we take the offering. Is, is there a great gospel outreach in Peru today? There is. The Peruvian people are open to the gospel. It's, uh, they're very friendly to us, to the U.S., uh -huh. and uh, it's open to the gospel, and we have more opportunities than we can, than we can get into. But the best story that he told me was the, what seemed like the most insignificant one. The man, 72 years old, who said, I'm going to go serve God the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. I always say, if you've got one year to live for God, forsake this world and live for God. 
Uh, two things. I got one more thing. It's good to see Carol Reeves in the back. We uh, buried her husband over in the National Cemetery yesterday. She was with her husband the last several uh, months and weeks of her life, sharing the gospel with him, talking to him. She said every day, she'd say, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall save. She's been a great testimony. I thank you for all your prayers for her and her husband. And one more thing, please pray that I can take a little time to take off and go with uh, Brother Ross to get shrimp so our friendship will stay together, okay? All right? He's been driving me crazy. He introduced me to a shrimp place. He said, Preacher, when are we going to go back? Pray for me and Mike Ross to have time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these folks. And um, dear God, when I look at that ministry, I remember how simple it was in America 50 years ago. What they're doing now is what we did back then. Brother Oman could have said, what's the changes in America in the last 50 years? And we have become at ease over here. Many churches have lost their passion for souls. We, uh, we want to do things for ourselves more than we want to reach people. I pray you'd restore the passion that churches like ours 50 years ago had for souls, dear God. May we give our life to you afresh and anew. Bless this offering in Jesus' name. Amen. One last thing, once you stand, we're going to close with a song like we always do. We had the men's meeting last night, had a great number of men. Uh, uh, Pastor, uh, what's his name? Randy? Randy King. King, Randy King. Spoke for us. He's a great friend of mine, amen. And he went to Eustace to preach in a church because that young pastor in his 30s is waiting for his wife to die and with three little children. And the men asked the men to take an offering, and we sent $500 over there today, and he passed it on to him. And other churches have done that. Uh, pray for Pastor Tim Manis, his wife and their children, and that church in Eustace. He's there preaching for them tonight. Pray for them, please, tonight before you go to bed.